This girl from my past, that ridiculous ass. She attended UMass and she passed every class. Walked down the hall with a stuck-up sass from the basketball plate. See, it's time to pay dues, deliver the news. Like UMass, we refuse to lose. Yeah. I like a really huge ass. Bend over, take her to church, now she a UMass. I think I'd rather die in a nuclear war than go to only. <laughs> Good evening. My name is Trey Sage. I am coming to you live from New York City. It is Monday, November 16th. We are just nine days away from the official start of college basketball season, believe it or not. We would have been 10 days away from the start of the UMass basketball season, but for those of you who have not been following along at home, the UMass Minutemen, uh, their first opponent, I should say, Sienna, came down with a case of COVID. They're gone for 14 days, as is what I believe was their second or third opponent, uh, Iona, coached by Rick Pitino. And so two of their first four opponents, just as there was a little bit of solidifying going on with respect to their non-conference schedule, two of their four opponents that were slated for Doubleville in uh, Connecticut down at Mohegan Sun have now basically been nixed from the tournament due to COVID stuff. So there is a tremendous amount of ambiguity still surrounding the non-conference schedule, both Bubbleville and post-Bubbleville. That said, the uh, full conference slate was was released uh, last week, and UMass opens at LaSalle on December 9th. We'll get into the schedule probably on a more formal preview episode. Tonight's episode is arguably better than a formal preview episode because it's a more intimate preview episode. Our guest, of course, none other than Coach Matt McCall. And joining me tonight for this intro, for the episode that was just cut, we're kind of working in reverse here, is my old friend in our nation's capital, the Bennett Carroll. Bennett, welcome back. Happy to be here, Sage, as the dog barks in the background. Are you in the nation's capital, or are you technically, like, right outside in Maryland? So I used to be just in Maryland. Uh, I, I recently I've moved. I'm now actually in the nation's capital. You are? Did you move in with your girlfriend? I did. And we're moving wow. again in a few months. That's a big step. I'll tell you, that's, that's the first several months of moving in with the girlfriend is really, you learn a lot about yourself you learn a lot about how you function in relationship is it i presume she doesn't listen to this show so you can be candid has that been going she well is sitting on the other side of a door so i'm not going to say too much oh that could mean things aren't <laughs> going well and i'm not gonna <laughs> no no things, things are going very well bennett's girlfriend by the way went to you won't say i'm sure because i don't want to get too much away about my first life bennett's girlfriend it turns out graduated uh, is shares an alma mater with your beautiful host and is 10 years younger than me, so we never crossed over and probably wouldn't have it. Well, we probably have some things to share, uh, but that is a fun fact that I learned. I forget how I even learned it, but I put two and two together. You saw me Facebook stalker. I don't think I Facebook stalker. I think I, I did a straight Google wrong. search. I think I did a straight Google search. Oh, okay. like, oh who's, that makes who's sense. Because I think you were posting on... Um, and, you know, that's when you know you've reached a pretty 
trusted level of, of like companionship with someone when you can openly tell them, Hey, I Googled your girlfriend based on looking at her Instagram name. And they're like, okay, chill. Uh, you know, they know it wasn't like inherently creepy. It was just mere curiosity looking out for a pal and making sure that uh, all, all was well on the home front. And if you say otherwise, well, just don't say it now, but I presume you're okay with it because you still do this show with me. Um, so Bennett, what were your thoughts? By the way, everything else going all right in COVID? I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, uh, we've been good. Uh, a little bit scary with the uh, the protest and counter protest. Um, there was like three blocks from us. There was a video of guys beating out of each other, um, like proud boys fighting. Uh, not proud boys uh, was like three blocks from us. Uh, besides that, it's been pretty normal for for, for COVID. Pretty normal. I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> besides <laughs> that, besides the one little, you know, massive fight where people got arrested. Well, like, was this like, was, were you like watching it off the balcony? Oh, no, we couldn't, we can't see it. It's, it's a few like city blocks. Like it's, it's around a couple corners kind of thing. But like, no, we used to go like, they usually set up a big Christmas tree at the end of this spot. Like we always love going over there and, and, and looking at it. And I don't think they're putting one up now. By the way, that's, that's a fun, fun fact that a lot of people don't realize. Jewish people love Christmas. Um, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, love, I like seeing Christmas decorations. I don't love them in my house, but I like seeing well, them. I mean, you're, it's sure. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, as a Jewish guy who married a Catholic, that's like a thing when, when like the stockings come out and, you know, it's like, all right, like, but, my you know, like my mother, who's a uh, first generation uh, immigrant, or her father, she was born here, but her father wasn't. Like Christmas in that era was just like an American. Like, that's what you did to like get, acculturate to the new country. You just like did Christmas. You didn't even know. You didn't have to know it's like religious <laughs> significance. But anyway, DC, beautiful city during Christmas. Uh, Hanukkah, big Hanukkah guys too. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a lights guy. I'm a light. I'm team lights. I really am. I believe that. And, and the Indian holiday, Diwali, I learned recently was a festival of lights. So any lights holiday, I kind of rock with. And, and I'm, it, I'm, it's, it's sad to see that the contentiousness of our political moment is uh, is preventing people from celebrating whatever lights festival they call their own. Anyway, segue into tonight's episode. And before we get there, let's just reiterate, of course, that tonight's episode and all episodes are brought to you by the fine folks, world-class folks, the Five College Movers. Now, Five College Movers is doing a raffle right now to win the Andrew Ford, uh, former U.S. quarterback Andrew Ford American flag jersey that he wore in what I presume was like a veteran's Weekend Veterans Day weekend game some years back at Fenway. I've been three or four years now. All you have to do is donate to the uh, November campaign, uh, you know, like the mustache thing, and then you can submit it to the five thousand members folks, and they will put you in the raffle for that. I've seen some of you do that, so do check that out. And I also want to reiterate the story that my mother actually used five college movers recently and they were world-class and she's now referring all her friends to them in Western mass. But 
Pioneer Valley and beyond. Five college movers. Pat and the gang will take care of you. Tell them we sent you. We had another person recently say, say that they went because of the show. That's not the first. So we appreciate you doing that. And, uh, yeah, check them out. Five college movers. Okay. Tonight's guest, Matt McCall. Before you hear the interview, Bennett, I just want to get your takes on, you know, maybe maybe give the fans a little bit of a preview of what they're expecting, kind of your, not necessarily synopsis, but your takeaways based on what Matt discussed. Did it get you more excited for the season? Yeah, I mean, like, I think last week I started reading, I forget which blogger it was, started tweeting stuff about UMass, and it started getting, not a UMass guy, just like a, a another, you know, either an A-10 or a mid-major or whatever it was. And I got very, very excited and was reading stuff and was sending stuff to my, you know, my one or two friends from that I went to school with that still pay attention, and we were all excited. But this interview, like, really, like, it really started to pick up. And even, like, the NS, obviously nothing's normal right now, but, like, the NFL, like, started normally, but was a weird year. Like, this is starting, you know, a little differently and whatever, but, like, it's starting to feel like college basketball season in, like, the best way. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. This is, this is a, a good interview to listen to. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I think fans maybe there, – there are certain things we've said as fans on Twitter or that – you know, particular fans have said on Twitter, I'll just own up to my thing. And one is about Javon Garcia in particular. And so when, when the head coach for a long period of time, validate some of your hunches, that's a really good sign because especially with freshmen, you really don't want to tout a kid unless he's like really legit. And so I almost continue to just feel badly for how much I've, I've hyped Javon Garcia because Matt now just played right into that. (laughs) And it's kind of like so much of my hopes for what this team can be are predicated on him and to a lesser extent Noah Fernandez, who I think is more of a known commodity because he played some college basketball. But that's like one of my takeaways. The other takeaway is that Matt, for whatever issues I've had over the years with, you know, different decisions here or, you know, guys transferring or whatever – he really is a decent person. Like, he's a fundamental – and that, that's a rare thing. and Not a rare thing, but it's rarer than it should be in, in that industry. He's like, you know, as far as egos go – and he alluded to it very briefly about a book, like something like Egoless something. And that is, like, really not an egotistical maniac. And you argue even at moments that that could be something that's hurt him because I think like with some of the frankly groups of kids he had his first couple of years who were not always simplest kids. <laughs> I think like that being temperamentally the type of guy is you can just tell he's so much happier to have a group of kids who love being at UMass and, and, and just, it's nice to see him. I think mood wise and talk about that and just like some of the things he he needs for, for him to operate at a high level. So I think it's a good insight into his temperament. And, you know, look, I mean, I've, I've, said, I've been pretty open about it. And if, if he comes out of the gate here and, and they somehow stumble to one and six or whatever, like, 
I'm, I'm going to be pretty ruthless. You know, like that's he's got he's got to win this year. He knows that. I know that. And you know, the extent to which he has to do that can be debated, but he's got to win. And you know, I, everybody ha- is, is on that page now. So it's it's like I just desperately want to tip the ball up and get this season underway. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to play out. It's going to be weird. It's going to be strange. There is a small piece of me that feels uneasy about just relishing in college basketball during, you know, a really fraught period, not only in our nation's, like, political history, but in its just inability to take care of its citizens. I mean, like, it's it's grim what's going on right now. I mean, you can't forget that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are dying and, you know, millions more are contracting this virus. And there is a part of me that, you know, feels uneasy about that. Um, just, you know, but at the same time, I love this stuff. And I don't really always know why, but it's, it's something I look forward to more than almost anything, especially in my, you know, adulthood now, and especially in COVID when, you know, I don't really have other teams that I follow that rigorously and I don't want to lose a season. So, you know, I mean, maybe that's selfish and maybe we don't have a season, but I hope we do. And um, I hope everybody's staying safe and I hope we all get together as a, as a UMass Twitter kind of cohort and can just have actual games to, to bring us together, not just, and let's shit posting about whatever inanity is is in the ether that day. I don't know if inanity in names or inanity that's the that's the adjective form. As inanity would be a noun thing. It's not like a thing. Anyway. Um yeah. Anything else, Ben, before we jump in with a call here? Any any show notes, any anything you want to promote, anything going on at Sirius? No, no. Uh, I keep thinking about starting a podcast, but I don't. So nothing to do there. Wait, can you just give us a quick? And feel free to skip ahead if you if you want to do your thing. But can you just give us a quick bit of um of overview on like what's going on with White Sox Twitter and your oh. <laughs> irate against the White Sox? So, as as any oh, listen, I... say it again. Right. Um, there's, there's, there's a dude on White Sox Twitter who's like, he's old, like not, no, I don't even know. No, no, not the guy you're going after. I'm not that. That's today. But so just for those who don't know, Bennett, I would say, is probably considerably more active on White Sox Twitter than he is on UMass Twitter, yeah, and to some extent, other Chicago sports Twitter. But really, it's like I would say you go. White Sox, UMass narrowly over the Bears, then Bears, then Blackhawks, then Bulls. Yeah. Is that uh, about not, honestly, honestly, not even really a Bulls fan. I'm trying to get back into it now. Uh, now that they've done anything intelligent in the last five years, um, just by hiring Billy Donovan. Um, which obviously now is double approved because of Matt McCall. But um, I think during the Bears game, and I've on the record, I've been tweeting the entire during the entire interview about this Bears game. Like during a Bears game, 
there is nothing in the world that matters to me more than a Bears game. But like during the week, Bears are Bears are much lower down the uh, the totem pole. But it's I'd say it's probably White Sox, UMass, and then depending on who's playing, Bears or Blackhawks. Wait, so where did UMass? Wait, so it's White is, is UMass, UMass after? UMass after the White Sox. Okay, so point being here that uh, you've been very upset about Tony LaRusso being hired as a new manager. It's funny because I couldn't tell you more than five managers in baseball right now. I could say, let's see, Cora is back for the Red Sox. Yep. Legit don't remember who the Red Sox manager was for this one season. Who was it? Uh, Ron Renicky, who was the bench coach the year before. Yeah. Like, so, totally so Aaron Boone. Yep. Uh, like, is Dusty Baker still the manager? He is. He he came in when uh, the Astros fired their manager. They hired Dusty. So these guys are all retreads. Is, like, Mike Sosha still a manager? Mike Sosha retired a couple years ago. Um, is, this was, is a fun was, game, actually. Indulge me for a moment. The Mets manager, like, the last Mets manager I can think of is, like, not Bobby Valentine, but, like, Who's the Mets manager? Give me a hint. Give me a hint. Give me a first I, name. I'm going to be real with you. I don't remember his name. It was Carlos Beltran for like a week, and then the Astros stuff came out, and he was implicated, and they fired him. I Nick don't Nick remember Calloway. who they fired. Yes, that's who was before. Um, so like, I don't is remember Terry his Francona still with the Indians? He is, yeah. He, he, I don't think he missed – I don't remember if he missed this entire season or if he just missed a chunk of it. Um, because he has like legitimate health concerns and and didn't want to kind of be around Corona, but he is still technically the manager for the. Where do you even get baseball news? Me on Twitter. Um, yeah, I get it from Twitter. It's it's funny because I'm acting like who would possibly be a baseball fan, and then I'm spending like tens of hours a week talking about a mid-major college <laughs> basketball team that. Has- that's made the tournament once in 21 years. So it's like, yeah, who the fuck am I to talk about obscure sports? But it is true that, like, at least with football, everybody plays fantasy and you're vaguely aware. I actually, truth be told, like, I don't really know a lot of football coaches either. And, and the pro, I would love to see data on the, the tenure. If anyone knows where this exists, please tell me. I would love Of to NFL play. head coaches? On the of all the four major sports, but compared like some sort of graph that charted if Stats McKinney is listening, and you could somehow pull this. I know quickly. hockey has a crazy like high turnover right now, especially. I think the longest tenured hockey coach is from like twenty sixteen right now. That's like in a single role. I'm um, just wondering if compared to say twenty years ago when I used to know every coaching the NBA and MLB because I just watch more. I'm wondering if it's if it's changed considerably. I honestly don't know. But it does, I mean, the Knicks, who is the only NBA team I follow a little bit, like, it's insane. Like, there will be a new coach without fail every yeah. 18 months, and I'll just forget. Like, I'll go an entire half a season or two just not watching, you know, like, I'll just be like, or I will watch because it'll suck, and then say, oh, there's a coach. It's wild. I mean, but then you have people like Popovich, 
obviously, you know, fuck with the average because they're, um, right, they've been around forever. They've been around forever. So, you know, and, and then you have a lot of reach threads. Like, I feel like George Carl is probably still coaching an NBA team somehow. I, I think he's finally done. I think the last I remember with him was he was with the Kings and he and DeMarcus Cousins, like, wanted to kill each other. And that's part of why his Cousins left. By the way, I know we're talking coaches, but God damn, Nick Foles, fucking stop. And I know I'm saying this to a mostly Patriots fan crowd. Who do you play for now? He's the Bears starting quarterback right now. Boy, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. They were five and one, barring a miracle, they're about to fall to five and five. All right, banter aside, let's get this McCall interview going. One thing I wanted to say is at one point I pressed him on understanding like offensive philosophy because I think Matt is so immersed in the technical side of running offense that sometimes I just need to understand what he's saying. I think as someone who used to understand basketball offenses pretty well and still kind of does, I think I got 70% of what he said. But when he said that the screener, as I've said on the show before, I don't think spatially, when he said the screener's back would be was parallel to the basket. He's saying, like, he sets the screen and then his back is still at the hoop, like, face is like, like his jersey would be, his, the back of his jersey would be facing the lane. Is that is that how you read it? I don't even remember. You're probably watching the Bears. But there's some very technical stuff in here. If you understand all of it, jump in my DMs. There's a couple little things I still didn't get, and I just didn't want to press one more time and ask. But you could tell he thinks a lot about it. And the real takeaway for that whole exchange was Javon Garcia makes some ridiculous passes. And my real thing that I was trying to intimate was just let Javon Garcia, like, get up and down the court and get the ball to Trey Mitchell and then kick out to T.J. Weeks, Noah Fernandez, Carl Pierre, Baji Walker, John Dominguez. You have, like, five dudes who can hit the three, and you have, like, incredible penetrators and a dominant big man, so just let him fucking go. You know, go out and beat teams, you know, and just, I'm excited. Anyway, I could go on forever. Bennett, you must get this episode. Our guest tonight is one of a small handful of two-time guests, I think, Bennett, correct me if I'm wrong, football superfan Zach is God and Alan Pandiani, associate athletic director for, I don't know what his title is these days, but the great Alan Pandiani, I think those are our, are those are only, uh, maybe the kid from Dayton who comes on the pod once a year for for to prep for, you know, before the Dayton game, Sully, my good name, who's gone big time, by the way. But we don't need to get into all that. The second time appearance guest that's coming on right now that I'm uh, pleased to bring back, it's been it's been like two and a half, two years and change. We had him on the summer of 18 after season one. Is none other than the head coach of the UMass men's basketball team, Matt McCall. Coach, welcome back. 
always a pleasure. You know, hopefully this this gets um, I don't know maybe five to ten less negative tweets from you in terms of my play calling after timeouts or underneath that about that. So um, hopefully this is going to eliminate maybe five to ten negative tweets by you, but. It's, um, you know, always happy to do it. It's funny you say that because in my notes tonight and in general, I actually think your after timeout plays and out of bounds plays are some of is is some of the things you do best as a coach. So I'm almost like, does he does he actually even read the tweets? Because typically that's something I commend you for. Plenty of things I'll I'll get on you and everybody else about during games. And that reminds me that I, I need to do my, if any parents of players are listening, and I know there are some who tune in here and there, I need to do my preface before the season where it's like, it's not personal, I love your kid, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just the in-game passion stuff I let I, I let loose sometimes. And, and so if you're listening, that's my preseason, uh, you know, warning. And I'll do it, I'll try to do it on Twitter as well. But I'm surprised you mentioned that because... I actually think that's something you're very good at. And I actually have a question that even alludes right now in my notes in a parenthetical to a great after timeout call to unique McLean from the Dayton game in year one. So I don't know how much you're really reading my tweets, Matt. During the season, I, I, I try to block it all out. Uh, I, you know, I try to stay off Twitter unless uh, there's something that I need to see. I let our assistants and our staff kind of peruse that. To me, that would just be something that was distracting from uh, staying focused on the process and, and, and coaching our team. So during the season, I, I try to stay off it. And, you know, I, I'd say probably the most I've ever been on Twitter, uh, it was just during quarantine <laughs> more than anything because we were all stuck at home and, uh, you know, trying to find some things to do. Doom, doom scrolling with Coach McCall. Uh, that could be a whole series i would i would listen to that um but in seriousness you every coach says that do you really during the season like if if it gets kind of really low and you you want to know what people are saying like you it's hard to resist i would imagine i mean you presumably get like do you have to turn off your mentions how how does that really play out like what are the mechanics of that listen it's just it's a sheer discipline to not hit that app button right especially when things uh, aren't going well, and then to me, it's the same thing when things are going really, really well, right? You hit the app button to boost your ego. That's really all it is. You know, it's it's to make yourself feel good. So, um, you know, it's you, I don't I don't look at it. I, honestly, I, I again, I just try to try to stay focused on what we're doing and where we need to get better. And like I said, even when things are going really, really well, you know, you, it's it's just an ego boost, and you got to try to stay as level-headed as possible, and uh, move on to the next day. I mean, there's a reason that Bill Belichick acts with the media the way he does, you know, and that's probably one extreme. Um, but, you know, he's he just, it's its on to the next day, it's on to the next game, it's on to the next practice. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's something I've, I've tried to learn early on. Shoot, I don't even think Coach Donovan knew how to work a Twitter account, you know. Uh, but... There's information. It's obviously instant information, right? Like, I think we got an email today at 11.27 from the Atlantic 10 uh, saying that the announcement was going to come out at 11.30 about the NCAA tournament going to a single site, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, you can see that on Twitter in about 
20 seconds and have about a million retweets. So in terms of information gathering with stuff like that, that's, to me, that's what it's useful for and then, and then useful for, for pumping our program and pumping our players uh, and, and, and publicizing them and trying to highlight them. You do all your own tweeting, though? I do. I, I try to get uh, Matt Hoodie or, or Brian Grossman maybe to give a, a, a proofread. You know, if you're in a hurry, sometimes you don't want to put a list of work. I think we've all been guilty of that. And sometimes Grossman will sprint into my office and tell me that I misspelled something. Um, English is never really my strong subject. It was always more of a math guy. But, um, you know, uh, Grossman will proofread it. And if I send something out, I may have misspelled something. He'll come in and have me correct it. I was going to say, does BG, that's the director of basketball operations and an all-around really good guy for those listeners who may not be aware, does he actually, you said you get reports on your social media stuff. Does he actually come in periodically during the season and when you say you don't want to look at social and be like, yeah, you're getting dinged for this, or like, or is it just kind of like you smile and nod and you kind of know? I think you smile and nod, you kind of know, you know. Um, uh, you know, obviously if there's a bad loss, if they say, you know people are going to be saying things. That's the nature of the business. That's why, you know, I and mean, that's that's part of that's what comes with it, right? Like, I mean, you know, you can have the greatest season ever. Everybody will think you're the greatest coach in the world, and then you can lose a couple games or drop a few here, and people are going to say negative things about it. You know, you don't, you don't need... Twitter to, to, to tell you that, you know, um, but I, I, you know, I, again, I think when things, when there are things you need to know or you need to see, you know, you know your staff, you know, can bring you those types of things and run better than BG. Yeah, because, I mean, it is interesting how there's, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it is interesting how, I mean, there there will be things on Twitter. I always say, like, UMass is kind of this interesting middle ground between it's not big enough that you can't ignore it, but it's it's big enough that there are parts of it that, you know, you don't have to pay attention to. And yet, you know, it's not like the Red Sox where there's going to be a million people talking. So you do have to kind of – and periodically people will say crazy stuff. I think there was a guy like last year, somebody – just some weird troll just was making things up about players. And, like, you, you, you know, these are kids who aren't followed by millions of people. So I would imagine – to some extent, you still have to kind of know what's going on and whether it's legit because kids are 18, 19 years old and they haven't dealt with this. Do you do you find that you have to uh, deal with, like, the fragility of kids' egos in, in, in encountering some of this stuff? I, I think that that's, again, you know, we've got a great staff, and our, and our staff is on top of all that stuff. And I think that when there's things... Uh, that are put out there or said about our guys that, are, you know, isn't true, uh, or even things about our program that maybe be pumping out there to the UMass fan base that's, that's not necessarily true. Again, our staff does a tremendous job, you know, bringing some of that stuff to the forefront and, you know, having dialogue and conversations about that, especially if we get to listen. We've got a great fan base. I mean, you guys are passionate, okay? Um, you know, there, there's, there's always a few guys that are gonna take it to, to the next level, and again, they are 18, 19 year old kids, and we're telling them to be disciplined and not look at it and things like that. Stay the process, stay focused, but it's hard. Like you said, it's, it's very, very hard, um, and it's just become such a, a part of of this generation of our, you know, where we are right now. 
right? I mean, from Instagram to Twitter to all of it. I mean, you know, say what you want about LeBron. When he says he's taking a hiatus during the playoffs, there's probably a reason for that. Does he really do it? I don't know. He doesn't put anything out there, but if so, he doesn't have to, to listen to it the naysayers out there about him. But, I, you know, again, our staff does a great job. But when there's things being put out there that's not true, that stuff's brought to me and we can talk to And I would imagine it was particularly hard this offseason because there was just nothing left, you know, there's nothing else to do besides sit there all day. But let's segue from the offseason real quick. And I'm just going to open with, a, with the, the, my serious question right now is, should there be a season this year? You know, uh, I think there's there's a couple different things, you know, right now. One, these guys have been back since August 14th. They're doing everything that we asked them to do um, in terms of trying to stay within this bubble. They've done all their coursework online. Uh, we've been tested 27, 28 times. We've had zero positives, knock on wood, up to this point. They want to play, right? And I think that there's a level of excitement for them to play, but also, you know, they've put in all this work. They've done all the right things. They want to play. So I think that there's that. I think there's that aspect of it. Obviously, we never want to jeopardize their health. Uh, we never want to put anyone in a difficult situation, uh, but they want to play, you know, and I, I think that, you know, I know you'll probably dive into this in a little bit too, the scheduling aspect, it changes every single day. You know, I know UMass fans are like, oh, where's the schedule? Why is it not out there? Where's the well, literally, it changes. We lost two opponents in the Mohican Sun last week within a 24-hour period. So it changes, and that's the way it's going to be going forward. Uh, but the biggest thing is, is one of creating an environment uh, where we can safely compete. Uh, but two, the other piece of that is, is just these guys for you know their well-being. And they've done everything that they've uh, we've asked them to do but for their well-being to just get out there and get out on the court and compete and compete against someone else. You know, I, I think that yes, we should play. But again, we've got to be very, very diligent, smart with how we're doing it. Uh, you know, whether it's within the A-10, uh, you know, what are the testing protocols for, for bringing opponents in? You know, there's been a million different ideas kicked around, but, you know, I, I think for, for them, for all the work that they put in, I think as long as the environment that we're creating is safe, uh, I think we should play. Yeah, I think that's a good answer um, for what it's worth. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the team. I mean, you guys are deep. You're athletic. You got a lot of weapons on both ends of the floor, and I'm 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 blown away, frankly, by everything I've heard and seen about this team. And yet, I felt <laughs> I would I wouldn't say equally optimistic. Certainly not as optimistic as I do this year. Two years ago, and as a fan, I think I learned lessons about expectations and expectations management and also just about expectations of personnel because I think the personnel now is a lot better than it was two years ago and I think the culture is a lot better than it was two years ago but I think I would be uh, not doing 
well, this isn't my job, but I wouldn't be doing this podcast right if I didn't ask what's different now than 24 months ago when there was a, not a similar, a fairly similar level of, of optimism surrounding um, the, the start of the season. Yeah, listen, to, to be blatantly honest, going into to, to year two, I had a lot of concerns. I was very, very concerned with where we were at culturally. Um, I was very, I wasn't necessarily concerned, you know, in terms of individual players or things like that. But I did not like where we stood culturally going into that year, um, and I was, I was concerned. Um, and I think that. Uh, just the way that everything planned out, panned out, I, I was probably had the right to be concerned going into that season. Uh, we just have a group that's, you know, if you think about it, you know, what we're asking them to do day in and day out with the world that we're in right now, they come in the gym with a level of excitement uh, to work to get better. Um, you know, we had a 6.30 a.m. conditioning on a Friday, uh, in early, early September, and the entire team, I walked in the gym at 6.15, and the entire team was already in there. You know, that, that, that right there shows you where, how far we've come culturally just with that right there. The entire team was already in there at 6.15, on the floor, ready to go. Um, so I just think that that's, that's a big, big piece. We're, we're so further along culturally now um, than we were then. And the feelings that I had going into that that year, with my concerns about where we were, I don't have any of those right now. You know, um, I think we've got obviously great returners back that have been in and played in a lot of games. You know, we can talk, you know, about everything that Trey did last year and just the league. You know, taking the league the way he did, um, and we got other guys with experience coming back and. You know, there's some unknowns with the young guys, right? You don't know how, how freshmen are going to perform when the lights get turned on. And I'm sure that we're going to have some, some growing pains and go through some things and have to grow. Um, I think that that's why this year, especially with everything we're dealing, the net in terms of, like, that stuff's not going to matter. You're going to get that stuff's going to get thrown out the door, right? Because we don't know how many non-league games we're going to get in. But every single time we step in between the lines, we got to get better. And we've got to prepare ourselves. You know, we got a huge uh, December 9th league game, December 30th again, and it really, really starts. we got to be clicking and hitting on all cylinders earlier this year than we did last year. You know, last year we, we started clicking and hitting on all cylinders, you know, in late, mid to late February when we really started playing better, better basketball. That's got to start early so we can be in the hunt uh, come, you know, January and February for, for that league championship. Again, I don't know what's that going to look like. It could change next week. You know, um, it seems like every day the schedule is changing, but we've got an unbelievable group uh, that has the capacity to learn, that they're driven, and they want to get better. And um, that that's what excites me. And you're confident that, that that desire to get better and learn and compete will lead to meaningful uh a meaningful number of wins listen you know uh, again we have to see how many games we play and what does the schedule shape up to be and that but i, I think there's no question when, when your culture's right it's going to equate to more wins we, we, we've got to and it's time it's time you know this is 
I'm going into my fourth season here. We, we showed some progress. Now we got to take the next step. And uh, I think our program is ready to do that. So one of the things I, I was thinking about when I look at this roster and I think about you over the last three years is I look at this roster and I define it as, I think I said, depth, athleticism, weapons on both ends. And when you first came here, so I've kind of heard two things from you that I, over the years, and I don't necessarily think they're contradictory, but I want to try to reconcile them if I may. So you've said over the years that you want to play, that you want to press and you and play fast and really push tempo and for you know and and, and force teams to play uh, at that pace with you, especially when you have the weapons you do this year. But I've also heard you say over the years that your philosophy is like, and I forget exactly how you phrased it, but it's something like. If you have 200-something passes a game, like your first year you were harping on this a lot. When you were successful, you would talk about how you moved the ball around a certain number of times, Got you, you had you uh, skipping the ball across the floor. And um, I'm kind of wondering, with a team like this, particularly with some youth, do you think, uh, like, do you want to play one or the other or do you want to play both and kind of how do you reconcile that is it based on opponent is it based on sort of your philosophy like when you're preparing a game plan or a season plan i should say how do you uh kind of reconcile those two competing visions offensively listen when i say things like like play with pace and play fast that doesn't mean dribble across the floor and jack up the first shot we can get like every single time down the floor, we're trying to get one of two things. We're trying to get a rhythm three after the balls hit the paint, or we're trying to get a layup or a dunk. Like that, that that's really what we're trying to get, right? So when you hear the term play, fake, play fast or play with pace, that means how hard are we moving and how fast is the ball getting up the floor? How fast is the ball moving once we're in half-court offense? That's playing with pace. Playing with pace is not dribbling across the floor and jacking the first shot. Now, if we can get a layup or a wide-open three, you know, a shot by someone that's shooting 40% or above from the three-point line, we're going to take it every single time. We want to play fast on defense. We do want to press. You know, we, we've gotten a lot better at it, especially this offseason. We've got the personnel. We've got the depth to be able to do it uh, at an even higher level than, than we've done since I've been here. That's the one thing, too luxury of as a bench in terms of accountability. You know, if, if you mess up, if you miss a rotation, if your effort's not where it needs to be, you got to sit out. You have to sit down and learn, and the next guy needs to go in. But when you hear the term play fast or play with pace, that, that does not mean we want to lead the country in shot attempts. That's how hard it was, you know. That's how fast we're playing, right? We want to be an efficient offensive team. And to be efficient, you got to move well, you got to cut hard, and the ball has to constantly be moving. Constant ball movement and player movement. That's what we want. And to me, that's playing fast and that's playing with pace. That's a good explanation. Um, when you say, and when you say a rhythm three, just for some of the less technical basketball listeners in the show, you're referring to basically a three, a three in the rhythm of the offense as opposed to dribble, dribble, stop, pull up, pump fake, launch. Correct? Can you, can you one, two step into a shot that's a rhythm three, right? We, we talk about it on defense. We never want to give up rhythm threes. We want to constantly be crawling up under guys where every shot's contested. But a rhythm three is when the ball is swung to you and you can one, two step into your shot and get a clean look off. Yeah. Got it. Um, so the 
the question I have is, and, and the first time I ever met you, one of the things that I was excited about, and and I, I just, it gets weird that you say the out, after timeout thing, because I, I think that's one of your, I was talking about that unique McLean dunk against Dayton. Like that was a, I presume that was a design play. If it wasn't, you should just pretend it was because you earned your money on the play. But um, the alley-oop against Dayton in your first year. But you told me it was at a bar. Bamford was there. It was an alumni sort of, I don't know, meet and greet event. In, Downtown Manhattan. In New York City. That was Midtown. It was like 34th Street. Midtown. Um, okay. And, um, and we, and, and you said at some point something like, at Chattanooga, I had one of the thickest playbooks in the country. And you obviously, and you've talked about this a lot, you love running offense. And yet, last year, it seemed like with the personnel you had, the success came in a certain sense. Much of your success came, I think, by your own admission in, in a presser late in the season when you kind of simplified the offense. Partly that was Trey just getting doing Trey, you know. Um, was it hard for you as a coach, like just psychologically, to l- kind of thin down the playbook a little and, and play in a sort of a those 60 52 type games and, um, you know, just just you know, have to maybe put some of the the X's and O's in your back pocket and just dump it down, or was it just for you a, as a coach a, a learning experience where you're saying, you know what, I've got an all all everything big, and I got to try to just find ways to get him the ball, or am I interpreting this entire thing incorrectly? <laughs> well, a few things. One, we do have an all everything big, and we do have to find ways to get him the ball. Um, and that's that's the bottom line. And when he's got a an advantage where he can take a guy on the block um, and go to work, where but you know I I've said this the other day. I, I don't know that there's a front court player in the country that with their back to the basket is as good as him. Um, and I'm not biased because he's here. I, I think that that's just that the the numbers, the film shows that right. Uh, but then how can if he's got a a guy that that may be way more than him or is taller than him, pull that guy away from the basket and let Trey play on the perimeter. Um, the guys make fun of me all the time. Carl will tell you, I, I definitely had his first year. Um, I think our playbook was a lot bigger uh, than it was last year. Carl will tell you and attest to that. Um, but I, I just, you know, I think, again, what, what's our personnel? Um what are we trying to do? What's the advantage we're trying to, to take out there on the floor? Uh, but also, oh, what are we run? Are we efficient in what we're running? And if we're, we just have a million things in, just to have a million things in, but how efficient are we at running those things? And I think that's the biggest thing. Are we efficient with what we're running? And do our players know the why of all these actions that we're running? And I think that when you have a young team, I think it's important to to teach that, right? Like when I got to Chattanooga, I, I had an older team, right? I had seniors that I was their third head coach, which is crazy to even think about. But I had an older team um, that, you know, had already had to learn from a second coach. So they were ready for the style of play that was coming in. And... I think that they understood the why off the bat. Sometimes when you have younger guys, you really have to spend some time on on the why. But again, how efficient 
are we at running the actions that we have in? Do they know them? Do they know all the looks that we're trying to get within them? Okay, like if we're running a cross screen, coming down in transition to get Trey on the left block, if they take that away, what's the second look? If they take that away, what's the third look? And how can we always get back into the flow of our offense? Uh, I think it's important. And, you know, again, we can have a million plays, but we got to run them effectively. we got to be really, really efficient and make sure our guys understand what we're looking for within each action. So would you say you have – you'd prefer to have fewer plays but – with guys understanding every read within those plays rather than under lots of plays that they kind of understand the the bait you know like is, is that is that a fair characterization well, I want to win so how, how what's the best way for us to do that okay um, if we need to have a million plays and uh, maybe you, you need to have more to hide someone's deficiencies or, you know, you have a player, you have a non-shooter, a non-threat out there on the floor. We've got to find different ways to make sure he's not the extra pass guy that's wide open to get a three, whatever it may be. I think when you have talent and you have guys and you have players, there's also a sense that you got to cut them loose and, and let them be who they are and, and what makes them successful. So we want to win. And whatever we're running, they got to run it efficiently. they got to know every single read that they're trying to make out there on the floor. And as we go, then we can add throughout the course of the year. But uh, I like where we're at right now on offense. I, I think we made, again, strides towards the end of last year. Um, and we've got a, a group that, that wants to be coached. They want to learn. They have a capacity to learn. So I'm sure we'll, we'll continue to add to the playbook throughout the year. Talk about Javon Garcia. I, I got to be honest. The second I saw his tape, and I, I just and I think that prior question in many ways stemmed from the what I saw on the tape, which was first of all, I couldn't believe. I just could not believe that this kid wasn't getting offered everywhere in the country. And I, I'm not I'm not a talent scout, but I think people in all industries miss on things. And I think, I mean, I've. Maybe the kid, I think maybe probably he had some stuff coming late, later on, but whatever it was, I watched that kid's tape right away, and I was like, he gets downhill so fast off the, he just takes a ball off the rebound and just three, it feels like in three strides, he, he it's like Tyus Edney, you know, but longer and leaner back in the UCLA days, and I, I don't even, I mean, he just, he has an explosiveness that I, I haven't, just it pops out right away on tape. And I'm thinking about a kid like that in when he gets a rebound, like, do you just have to let him go? I mean, like, how do you, you know, cause that, that's a gift, you know what I mean? Or, or maybe I'm getting it wrong But when I see it, it, it. And I think a lot of people have been like, wow, you're really touting him. It's like, watch the tape. Like the kid goes, that's, that's all I can. That's the only way I can describe it. The, the game for JG comes very, very easy. Um, and he does things out there on the floor and it looks as if he, like you're saying, he just, uh, I think floats the bad, a bad word, um, because that would insinuate that he's not playing hard. Uh, but it's, it's just effortless, you know, really. And, and because the game comes so easy to him, 
uh, when he gets it to be able to get on the bread. We, we tell him all the time, turn the jets on and let him go. Um, and he can finish and he's strong and he's a ridiculous athlete. And, you know, practice will be over and he's just sitting there just, just windmilling, you know, after a two and a half hour practice. He's that kind of athlete. Uh, but I think one of the best things about his game is feel. One, I think the game comes very, very easy to him. But two, you know, if he's coming off a middle pick and roll and the defense is forcing him to his left hand, which you would think is his weak hand, for him to be able to throw a left hand hook pass on the money to a guy lifting out of the corner for a three, that's a tough pass to make going to your quote-unquote weak hand. He's uh, got great feel, uh, but again, he is just an unbelievable athlete, and the, the game of basketball just comes really, really easy to him. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I saw him, Coach Bergeron took me to see him at the, at the Peach Jam uh, and said, watch this kid, tell me what you think, and I, I was just blown away. I'm like, this guy's a high major player, you know? Um, so he's he's going to be fun to watch. There's no question about that, and I think – when you put in, you know, uh, when you add in Noah Fernandes, you know, when you play both those guys together in the backcourt, now things that we're trying to run with the pick and roll motion with all that, you've got two ball handlers, decision makers, and playmakers out there, but are both different, but both complement each other extremely well. You got a chance to be really, really good on offense. When you say that, just that one line you said uh, there was a word the the guy who caught the pass. I think you said he something out. What was that? What was that word? When he raised out of the corner. Raised out. Do you mean like he flashes from the block out to the like the corner three in front of the bench, kind of? No. So the, 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 basically, the corner, uh, the deepest part on the court, the corner behind the three point line. If, if I'm coming off to my left and we're running a middle pick and roll. Uh, on an empty side, which means a single side, which is where the guy would be in the corner. His job is the ball handler comes off the middle pick and roll is to raise um, out of the corner. Um, and we call it the diagonal spot to be open for a three. That's a, that's a left-hand hook pass that, that the point guard's having to make. That's a difficult pass. Oh, but he's flat. So I'm so, sorry. I'm just trying to break it down because sometimes I hear you, you use terminology and I just want to make sure I understand it because it helps me then not complain or like it, it rationalizes what you're doing and i just <laughs> like you used to say there's certain phrases like uh oh you, you've got some interesting for anyway so so the the give me the give me the play that finds that guy in the corner and i'm never gonna do this again on this show but i just it'll like if i hear it once i'll i'll, I'll get it the, so if we're running a middle picture roll so who's who's got the who's got the ball Trey's setting a screen. Has the ball in the middle of the floor. Okay, got it. One man or anybody has the ball in the middle of the floor up by the UMass logo. Okay, got it. And we sprint a five man up to set a middle pick and roll with his back basically parallel to the baseline. Got it. When he comes off, if he comes off to the four man side, so the four man is then spaced away, the guy in the corner that he's going away from has to raise, and he would be the quote-unquote throwback guy. So if I come off the pick and roll and I can't hit the five-man rolling, someone's got to raise out of the corner as an outlet for me to throw the ball to. Got it. He comes off the screen and finds that guy with a lefty sort of wraparound hook pass. Yes. 
That's a tough pass. That's to a make. really tough pass to make. Very tough. Um, so you you envision him and Fernandes playing alongside each other a lot together in the backcourt? No question. And Playmakers, bo- decision makers, ball handlers. Uh, it allows us to play with greater pace. Uh, you'll see those two guys in, in the game together. You know, um, Dayton was the, the second or the first most efficient offensive team in the country. Rodney Chapman and Jalen Crutcher. Rodney was a point guard for me my second year at Chattanooga. Jalen is a point guard. They played those two guys in the game uh, for the majority of the game. It started both of them. You know, they were an efficient offensive team and how they wanted to play. Um, I think that it's, you know, on the teams that I've been, our most successful teams, uh, whether I was in Florida or, or Chattanooga, you had multiple ball handlers in there. And I think that those two guys will be in the game a bunch together. So I got to do it to you. If the season were tomorrow, who's your starting five? Don't, don't, I, I know, don't, I know, I know. I get it. With 10 days of practice left, listen, okay, this has been a, a challenge, right? And, you know, two weeks ago we were supposed to start our season on the 25th. Um, you know, last week we were supposed to start our season on the 27th. We've lost two opponents in the Mohegan Sun uh, because of COVID. I mean, if you look at it, let's just say we do play next Friday. We still got 10 days of practice left. And uh, 10 days of guys battling it out. Uh, you know, I, I think that we've got we've to see what happens over these next 10 days. So, in a sense, it seems like, I mean, I, I'm not going to say everybody, but I can think of seven or eight guys who are certainly in contention for those five spots. Um, I think I think you probably got to start Trey, um, <laughs> and I'll and I'll presume that, that would be a good assumption. And I'll I'll presume you'll you'll slot in senior captain, Mister UMass Carl Pierre, and then um, beyond that, I'm kind of is there is there we know Preston left the team, and we don't have to get too terribly into that. But uh, are there any uh, any guys health wise who are who are banged up right now? That was the thing too, um, you know, not having the summer uh, to really have the weight room, be able to condition individual instruction, things like that. We, we, uh, I think everybody at some point here has been dinged up, uh, you know, where they've missed a day. Uh, you know, there's probably a couple guys that, that haven't missed any practices. Um, Ronnie DeGray's been there in there the whole time. Uh, Trey's been in there the whole time, which has been good. Um, JG, for the most part, has been in there the whole time. Uh, Noah had a little bit of a tight Achilles probably a month ago. Uh, he's been good to go since. Um, TJ, you know, tweaked an ankle here or there, but for the most part, he's been good to go, you know, um, ever since. Um, so, but guys have, have missed a little bit of time just for, for you know, maybe getting dinged up to a day. But again, I think that that's, you can attribute that. We just, you know, all of a sudden we're back. We're back in August. We're one coach, one one ball, one basket. But again, they missed on so much on, on strength and conditioning um, from the summertime. And we just have to be mindful about that or where they're at physically. Um you know, it's going to be a, a challenging year in a lot of different ways, right? Like, let's just say your opponent one week 
you know, you, you're off week, let's just say, in, in A-10 play, you, you get an opponent that test positive, you could go up to 10 to 14 days without playing a game in the middle of the season. That's going to be a lot to deal with for these guys. And as coaches, we have to be mindful of that, of, of not, quote-unquote, burning them out, keeping things fresh, and, and doing everything we can to pre- prevent, you know, injuries. Ronnie DeGray is the name I think that a lot of people are getting really excited about. Uh, there was a little tiny video tonight on UMass, uh, UMass's Twitter account, and he sort of in that video, it was like 20 seconds, and it was just like giving the fans a little bit to be excited about. But you could see his toughness and his physicality, and I, I've predicted, and you don't have to comment on this, but I, I predicted he's the kind of kid, he just – screams glue guy and it's like I, I look at him and I'm like he's gonna start every game for the time for however long he's at UMass provided he's not injured because not only because I think he has those traits I was talking about but it seems like he has the most um not I want to say unique skill set but he's the kind of guy who like you don't you don't have that kind of big three slash four man who can step out and shoot a little and can bang down low and just by virtue of his of, of him being kind of unique in that way, particularly with Preston gone, I, I have to imagine he's uh, someone you're really excited about. Talk, talk about uh, DeGray. Ronnie's been terrific. He, he, when you look at his numbers through our practices, uh, he's shooting a high percentage uh, from behind the three-point line. Uh, the main reason for that is because he takes good ones. He doesn't try to force them. Uh, he takes open threes, and that's for uh, you know why he's shooting a high percentage. He also has an assist turnover ratio you know, compared uh, or put up there with our point guard, um, which is another thing. With how we want to play, uh, that guy, that trailing four man, that hybrid, you know, power forward slash small forward. A lot of times, our offense is initiated through him, so the ball is in his hands a tremendous amount. Uh, we really haven't had a guy like Ronnie since I've been here. Um, I had one at, at, at Chattanooga and Chuck Esther who, you know, just was so, uh, you know, Ronnie thinks the game. He knows the right play to make every single time coming down the floor. He rarely makes the wrong one on offense. He really, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, he doesn't turn it over. Um, he gets guys the ball in spots that they need the ball to be in. He doesn't break plays off within the offense. He knows everything that we're doing out there on the floor. He makes the right play. And if you get a guy like that, it makes you that much more difficult to guard. Um, and we're really, really excited about him. I just love his ability to think out there on the floor at the power forward spot. Uh, we've challenged him a bunch with his motor. Uh, and playing hard at bringing that every single day, and, and he's really responded to that challenge as well. I'm trying to think, like, is that you can't ever say anything about past players? I get how the industry works, but is it is he a, a, a is there is there shades of Jonathan Laurent's game to to him, or would you liken him to someone else entirely? Um, you know, Jail was 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 a really really good shooter from the behind the perimeter. I think Ronnie's uh, a high percentage. I think JL was more of a volume guy in terms of three-point shooting. Um, I think that, that Ronnie will shoot threes. I don't think he'll shoot them at, at a ridiculously high volume. I just really love his ability to think and make the right play. Um, and, you know, you, you can run and initiate offense through him. 
Um, you know, that's not a bad comparison, but I, I think Lonnie's bigger um, in terms of just his body physically, and he's young as well. You know, he's a good player that, that we're going to be excited to have here for, for a long time. Is he um, – Is he? will you run pick and rolls through him too? I don't know how much we'll have him coming off pick and rolls, um, but, uh, you know, he's he knows how to set a reversal, to slip a pick and roll, to take triple handoff. If he's dribbling at a guy and then he's jammed up, he can turn the corner and go and finish at the basket. Um, he just makes the right play. He, he really does. He's never thinking score. He's always thinking, what's the right play to make? And to me, that's that's just a tremendous, there's just such value in that. His, and his dad was a player at, at Colorado during the Chauncey Billups era, dad right? played at Colorado, yep, during the Chauncey Billups era, no question. So he just grew up around the game and has a great feel. No question. No question. And how's TJ looked? In I mean, I think it's it's kind of wild. People forget that like he was unbelievably lights out when he played in those ten games last year, and then you know you didn't have him for the final twenty. So I think there's this, you know people, not everyone. I mean, I think most UMass fans are really excited. But how nice is it to have him back? It's great to have him back. We couldn't be more excited about him. Um, Listen, we've got to manage some expectations for him, right? For 10 games, I think he was shooting 50% or 48.5% from the three-point line. To think that someone's going to do that for 31 games, I mean, that would by far lead the country, you know? So uh, we just want him focused on shooting good reps, um, playing extremely hard on defense. We need his rebounding. I think that that's if, if there was a concern of mine going into next week, just our team rebounding. We, we got to continue to grow in that area. I think we got some guys that are fully capable of doing it with him, with Carl. You know, with the Baji's length and athleticism. We know Trey's going to go out and get, you know, 10 a night at, at least. Uh, but we need other guys on that backboard too to really help. You know, whether it's Ronnie, DeAndre. Um, but we, we're going to need, we're going to need his rebounding. He's fully capable with his length. You know, if we can get five or six per game, I think that that's that's an area we're challenging a bit. You speak about rebounding as a potential area of improvement, or, or just a, something you guys as a team need to work on. When I look at this roster, and people say, "Well, where, where's the holes here?" Because it seems like you know you got Gasparini, who's a really nice pickup. You, you know, I mean, Cairo McCrory seems like a matchup nightmare. Who's going to have his nights? Colton, you know, has is a great defender and does some really nice things. Um, there's really not a lot of weak spots in terms of just the ability to do most things in a basketball game. And you, you think of just all of the things that winning teams have. The one thing I think when people say, well, where's the weak weakness here? I say my concern, I'll be honest, is there's not a guard who's an asshole. Excuse my, like, there, <laughs> like, you don't have that, and I'm not sure you need it to be, you know, as good as I think you can be, but I just think of sometimes when you guys, you know, play particularly Richmond, Bonaventure, to some extent George Washington and uh, Davidson, not even really, you know, Dayton, but those four teams in particular where they just run a zillion screens and guys just slip out kind of uncontested and, and kind of knock down a lot of threes on us. Those are my, my nightmares in the – as a fan and and I wonder like 
do you is that am I right in this assessment that you don't have a, a kind of a mean dude who can just like come in and and lock a dude down? I mean, who's your like when when you catch Lofton at Bonnie or um, you know Kellen Grady or some of these other really terrific guards in the league? Who who do you who's your stopper? Listen, I, I think that every player on our team will tell you right now they do not like playing against Cole Mitchell every day in practice. They huh. don't like playing against him. Interesting. Um, you look at when our team started to turn the corner and started to show progress last year, he was injected into the starting lineup and he was injected into the starting lineup because of his effort. He just finds a ways to have a positive impact out there on the floor uh, and gets his effort into the game every single game and every single day in practice. I think guys will tell you, we do not like playing against him. Uh, he throws his body around. Uh, he's not afraid. I mean, he broke his hand last year taking a charge. He's not afraid to dive on the floor for a loose ball or take a charge or do those types of things. And if you think about it, you know, for someone who broke his wrist taking a charge, you would think that you'd probably not be a little reluctant to take a charge the next time. And it's the opposite with Colton, okay? And that impacts winning. Um, I, I think a guy, I, I think Cairo McCory, uh, for us, can have a huge impact. I think his length, I think his athleticism, I think his toughness, uh, I think he's a guy that you can put on whoever out there on the floor. You'll be able to switch actions, switch pick and rolls. Uh, but I've been really, really impressed with his offensive game as well. Um, you know, we knew he was an athlete. We knew he was going to find ways to the free throw, and we knew he could be physical and rebound and do those types of things. Uh, but he's been, been terrific on the, on the floor for us offensively, too, and, and us just really challenging him and embracing, you know, that. Like, be able to go into a game and guard Kyle Lofton or Jalen Crutcher, you know, whoever it may be. And I think Kyle's length can cause those guys a lot of problems, too. I think, and I think kids, not that it's any incentive, not that they still care, but I think, like, fans remember those kids more than a guy who, you know, got his 13 a night and took a lot of shots and didn't lock in on D. Like, you know, you you follow a program for 25, 30, you know, some of the people who listen to the show, 50 years, and, like, those guys leave a lasting imprint in the in the kind of, fan psyche more than just the guy who kind of came in and, you know, hit a couple threes or whatever and, and didn't really lock in on the other end. So <laughs> if anybody wants to be remembered and if that matters to a kid, that's my, uh, that's my only, my piece of advice is like, let them know that that is so appreciated. I really, I really think like, especially in the A-10 where so many games are 68, 64 and that, that's like what as a fan keeps me up. I'm like, we got to have a dude who just scares somebody, you know, like there's just, and, and it's actually a really reassuring answer that you've given me now because I kind of, I guess I knew that intellectually, but I hadn't really put two and two together. So the fact that we have those guys, I, I feel a lot more uh, comforted moving forward. Given that then, what, other, other than team rebounding, what is an area that you think uh, is in need of improvement? I think this time of year is obviously it's still so early. Um, if you think about it, I mean, last year at this time we were five and up. We already played five games plus an exhibition plus 
a scrimmage plus three games down in the Virgin Islands, uh, and we haven't played. We haven't played our first game yet, right? So there's still there's still some unknowns in terms of how will we perform, how will we be uh, when the lights are on, how will our freshmen um, that are going to get thrown into the fire and play significant minutes, um, how will they respond when the lights come on? I think that there's there's some of that. Uh, still, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not concerned about our rebounding. I think that it could end up being a strong suit for us because of our length, because of our athleticism. It's just an area where we're challenging our guys and we need to continue to get better. I think that we gotta continue to, to, to grow and get better and with everything that we're doing. Um, whether it's, you know, executing in the half court, whether it's our transition offense, finding a way to get into offense coming out of transition, uh, whether it's pressing, pick and roll coverage. Uh, you know, I think that we know what we do. We know what we're trying to do. We know what we need to do. And now we just got to continue to tighten things up to get better at all of it. Good answer. Um, all right, let's go a little bit lighter here. If you got a few moments, I, I don't want to keep you forever, but I wanted to pick your brain on some of the uh, non-hoop stuff, just you philosophically. Um, so actually, well, I can't one... help you. I, I, I cannot help you. I know you. Someone said that you know you were very concerned about how good of a golfer I am. Please do not ask me to help you with your golf game. I don't um, even know if you play. Okay, I... the game of golf came naturally to me. I enjoy playing. I get to play a little more during quarantine right now, okay? But if you ever do play, we'll have to get out there. But I, I can't help you. I'm not, I'm not asking for tips. It's funny, though. This weekend, this past I've gotten obsessed with golf since the quarantine. It's like that and my kids have just kept me sane. And I took my first lesson on Saturday after, like, four-ish years of really not knowing what I was doing and just kind of, you know, I play a lot of pitch and putt because there's a par three in New York City under the lights right by where the Mets play. It's open till 1 a.m. You can drink beers on the course. Great vibe. And uh, I've gotten good at that, but that's like, you know, it's like not, it's, you know, I'm like five over par on a par 54, but but that's not like real golf. So I took a, a lesson. I swear it was expensive, but it was the best money I've ever spent on anything. Like just having someone break down a swing like in in sequence and not just as a series of little tips that you're thinking of the guy was like the guy had a great line he was like listen buddy he's like you're not picasso you can't do abstract this is paint by number and i went yesterday when my kids napped i went to the range and then last night when they went to bed i went again to a different range in jersey over the bridge and hit like oh for the course of the day I hit like 400 balls so i'm not going to ask you but uh, I am I am getting better now that I actually like it, it's really helpful and that's why I was asking you about like I, I want to understand your offense on some level because I think when you can kind of sequentially break something down into its component parts it's so much easier to understand like the philosophy behind something because as a fan you just watch and you're like why they make that decision and you don't necessarily see that it was a guy who missed a screen that then messed up the entire play right like there's it's a it's it's all the parts so um yeah at so i would at some point i would love to just like understand your offensive philosophies and sort of like how it works how you built this all like what are the core principles but that's probably for another episode um so no i don't have any golf questions that's a that's a, a rant that i just had to go on um 
You, I do want to know though, when you're not golfing and you're not, uh, you know, with your kids and you're not doing hoop stuff, what do you, what do you like to do? Oh man, I mean, I, I, you know, I enjoy reading. Um, I read a lot. I, I try to to start my day every day with at least ten minutes of, of reading and writing. Um, I think it's a way to get better. I think it's a way to grow. Um, you know, so that's. Do you read like self help books or or like do you read like novels? Uh, I would say leadership books. Um, you know, Ryan Holiday, Obstacle is the Way, is something I'm reading right now. I read his Ego is the Enemy book. Um, you know, so I would say mo- mo- more things like that. Um, I'm not a big novel guy. I-, I try to get something out of it. You know, that how can it help me? How can it help me be a better coach, be a better leader? How can it help me be a better father, uh, be a better husband? I think that those... So if you want to call them self-help books... I guess that technically they are, uh, but no, I didn't mean. I didn't even mean it like in a derisive way. I just meant like you know stuff about sort of like working on life versus you know like reading for pleasure novels type stuff. Um, yeah. Do you do you have like Trey Mitchell? I heard recently say that he he meditates, which is another thing I picked up in quarantine. I I'll be honest. I the the LeBron app, the com, that not the LeBron app. It's called the Calm app. But I, the ads with LeBron, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna download this. That has really been a huge help, like just to my sanity with 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 this quarantine. Do you? Uh, and you know, John Calipari goes to um to mass every every um every day, and like he says that that really grounds him. Do you do you? maintain any sort of spiritual practice uh as a coach um yeah you know obviously i think you know every every coach does i think that every coach does it in a different way um i'm a big workout guy and I, you know, I, I enjoy lifting weights but um in terms of like running being with my own thoughts like on the treadmill or outside i'm a florida guy so i necessarily like running outside in, in January and February. Um, but I, I, that, to me, is, uh, is the equivalent of, of meditation in terms of just being on a treadmill, being outside, running um, with your thoughts. Nobody else. Uh, that's something that I really, really enjoy doing, too. Not a music guy when you're running? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I'll put it on there. Sometimes I don't. Uh, but... You know, it just kind of depends on what kind of mood I'm in. You're like, I, I'll follow you on Instagram. I don't want to tell too many people because I, I feel like you, or you may have a private account. No, no, you might be. I don't remember. Do you, are you, you a lot of country and a lot of hip hop? An interesting combo. Is that is that <laughs> your is like I, I see you blasting it with the kids in the car. Like that seems to be your go to. Yeah, you know, country. Um, uh, interesting fact for me, my my uncle was Waylon Jennings' lead guitarist at one point in time. Um, obviously, Waylon's passed uh, a while ago, but my uncle Lance was his lead guitarist for a number of years. Uh, grew up in Ocala, Florida, so, you know, horse country, so that's probably where I get the likes for country music. Uh, I do really, really enjoy hip-hop. Uh, so those are probably two of the main ones that are uh, in the playlist. Uh, I do like rock. I'm a big Pearl Jam guy. I think I've seen him in Pearl Jam probably two, maybe three times in concert. 
I think uh, I saw them at Mullins years that. back. No joke. Uh, did I? I saw I saw the Chili Peppers at Mullins when I was in like seventh grade. Another was... good band. Another yeah. good band. Yeah. Uh, I saw the Foo Fighters at the Garden a couple years ago. That, they do an amazing live show. Um, oh, Cal, speak, are you a horse guy? Never got into horses. No, no, no. Um, obviously, it's, it's horse, horse capital of the world, but never got into horses. The best guest in the history of this program and the longest guest by far is Ocala native Freddie Riley. Freddie Riley, my man, Vanguard High School. Little fun fact about Freddie Riley, he was originally from Atlantic University. Um, and then Rex left and went to Ohio State University of San Francisco. And that's when Freddie went to, uh, was it Hargrave? Yep. Yep. Or Sports Union? One of those two. Hargrave, yep. And Mike Jarvis got hired at SWU. I don't know But Freddie, I think, was already enrolled at prep school by then. You you probably don't want to you don't you don't have four hours to spare but that's a that that's the most popular episode more people listen to Freddie Riley's episode than even Trey you or Bergeron like other than Calipari he he was just an electric guest that like I was shot it just he beat Bamford's appearance like the downloads just kept coming for months after people were discovering it who like would never listen to our show and were just like why is that kid so electric like it was just he is such a compelling dude and, and like he will that he just he's great. He, yeah he'll text me and he, he's, he's, he's great um, you know he's he loves his school there's no question about that um, and he's he's been great um, and then this is a little bit of a deeper question, but you've been here now four years. You're, you, you know, it's your first time really in the Northeast. There was a, a lot of learning curves by your own admission. How have you changed as a coach and a person just philosophically since, let's say, March of 2017? Like, what, in what ways do you think you've evolved, grown, changed, you know, but really in the sense of, like, what do you look at as being as fundamentally different than you used to, or is it more a matter of just tweaking things? I think, you know, this is somewhere that I've, I've been pretty honest uh, and open in terms of just my growth and my development in my four years here. Uh, and I've talked about the transitioning coming, you know, from Chattanooga to UMass. I've been pretty open and honest about that, you know. Uh, when I got to Chattanooga, I was a completely different situation from, from when I got here. You know, uh, you had a team that was older. Um, we had 100% retention. Uh, we, like I said earlier, we, we had, you know, I think two or three guys. I was their third head coach. Uh, so they, they bonded, and it was really I was there to help them. Uh, and I approached, you know, coming in and, and telling them that I'm, I'm here to help and I'm here to just steer the ship uh, and immediately gain trust. Uh, and buy-in, and, and we took off. And then you come here, and it's just a, it was a completely uh, different situation um, in terms of what I was walking into. We lost a lot of guys uh, within the first, you know, 30 days that, that I was here. Um, you know, we, we ended up keeping some guys and able to have, you know, some success that year one. Uh, but understanding and always having a pulse of, where are we culturally? And what we did at the University of Florida, maybe it worked at Chattanooga, 
but it's not necessarily going to work at UMass or South Florida or UCF or, you know, Hofstra or anywhere else like that. What is going on at that program within that time and what does need to be done? How does the culture need to be? How do you get it there? How do you get it there? And spending time on that, not worrying so much about X's and O's and plays to put in and how we're going to play and set your culture from day one. And I think that that's an area that, that you know, just being 100% honest, that, that I really had to, to, to grow um, and learn and continue to learn. And I've said this before, when you're in Florida as an assistant coach, you're adding to it each and every day. But you're operating at such a high level. And, you know, I, I tell people this story all the time, too. You know, there was no secret to why we won. You know, Mark Dagnall, who was just named the new head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Lemonster, uh, Mass's own, by the way. Lemonster, Massachusetts. When I got to Florida, Mark was finishing. When I got back to Florida as an assistant coach, Mark was finishing his master's degree. Uh, and then Coach Donovan ended up creating a position for him and, and hired him full time. But Mark got married last summer. And Coach Donovan was there. I was there. The academic coordinator was there. The secretary was there. The trainer was there. The strength coach was there. The athletic director was there. And it's because, you know, the video coordinator was there. And all those people were there because of the relationships that we built in those seasons at Florida. That's why we won. And when you're at Florida as an assistant and you're adding to that culture, are you really, really studying it every single day? Uh, and that's something that taking a step back and going through some difficult times and going through some struggles that, that I've learned. Uh, and I'm sacrificing anything for that. Um, I think the recruiting piece is another piece that we've changed. Um, you know, getting you know, 11 guys on our team that are either from New England or went to prep school in New England, I think that's big. I think that's huge, you know, and you've got guys that have a pride and a passion for being here and want to be here and not always looking for the next thing. They're excited about being here. Those you master, those, when you get those types of, of players, that level of character within the team, you know, you look at the best teams that have ever been in UMass, that's, that's what they've been made up of. Do you uh, talk to Billy about these things, like, fairly regularly? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, especially when you're going through difficult times and struggles and different things to bounce things off, you know, um, he's no question a, a tremendous mentor for me and a resource. Um, and I guess you could say I'm a big Chicago Bulls fan now. Has has the changes in your staff's composition? I mean, that was obviously a big factor. You 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 redid the staff after year two, and it seemed like that helped the culture last year as well. Do you think that's made you just uh, more comfortable in leading as well? No question. I think that that's something that that our staff talks to me about all the time. Um, you know, I'm at my best when I'm when I'm high energy, bopping around. Um, you know, in a great mood, smiling, joking, laughing. Uh, that's and that's the way I have to be. That's the way I need to coach. And um, you know, that's that's who I am. And uh, we've got a great staff um, that that helps me with that and, and recognize that each and every day. Um, and I think that our team reflects my personality now as well. And I think when you're assistant coaches, 
understand that, they go out and recruit those those types of guys as well, and we're going to perform even better on the floor. And those types of guys, it seems, I would, I, I, my read is those types of guys are, you said kids who want to be there, but also just kids who really care about getting better and enjoy basketball. I know that sounds weird because you're like, how would you not enjoy? No, that's that, that is dead on the money. They enjoy working. They enjoy uh, the struggle, the, the the daily grind, the practice, and you know. Um, I mean, if you came in our practice facility, our guys are there. There's the plates three days a week. You know, there's one lifting group at seven. There's another group at eight. And every single day when you walk in that gym, you get there at eight. Trey Mitchell's on the gun shooting. I mean, that's you know. He's not satisfied with, with what he did last year. He wants even more. And he's in there shooting thousands of reps every single day. Um, and he's not the only one. That's just one example. But, you know, those are the kind of guys you're going to win with. And when you get a, you know, the best front court player maybe in the country, uh, that's, that's, you know, uh, there ain't too many guys with his footwork, his hands, the things that he can do down there, they're still striving to get better every day. That's how you win. Is there a tendency to worry that, you know, like, because you maybe had groups in the past when you first got here that, you know, to put it charitably, were not quite as locked in as this current one, um, is there a tendency to almost be to have so much gratitude towards that that you have to check yourself and say, "Oh, I still got to push these guys, even even though they push themselves a great deal," because you know you still there's still another level. Yeah, no question, no question. And we, we we have to. That's what coaching is. We got to push them each and every day. Um, you know, we've got to we've got to have a pulse on where they are, where they are physically. But yeah, we, we you know we've got to push them. Um, and again, our, our coaching staff, you know, Coach Bergeron does a, does an unbelievable job of, of doing that. You know, I think when you would go watch Coach Coach at Woodstock or Commonwealth Academy, you know, he was constantly pushing. Um, and I think that gives, you know, me a good balance to have a guy like that on our, on our staff as well. You got two former players, um, that both played professionally, that both had really, really good college careers. They've got a feel for that as well, you know. Um, so I think our staff does a tremendous job of that. Tony's temperament is so di- it strikes me as so different than yours. Has that been a, a healthy balance for you? I mean, talk about that. He, no he's, he's a Springfield guy. He's brash. He, you know, and he takes. I think sometimes we misinterpret that as you know shtick, but it's really just like Tony is. That's Tony. You know what I mean? And like. You, if you can accept that, it seems like there's a tremendous amount to be gleaned from his his philosophy. No, there's a, there's a tremendous balance, um, and he's been great. He's been great for our staff. He's been great, you know, for our players. Um, he has genuine care for each and every guy on the roster, and uh, you know, Tony is has done it for so many different years and always put the kids first. And I think that there's tremendous value in that as well. And our players feel that. Um, before we before we finish, we talked at the start uh, about the challenges of kind of tuning out the fan base and, and those things. Were you what were you anticipating with this fan base, and and what has like surprised you about it? What what in general like how, how do you 
what's your read on all this? The UMass Twitter, just like the sort of the. I mean, it, it's a. Is it a foreign Would culture? You say that you lead. You be, are you the, are you the leader of UMass? Twitter? So you know, that, I've heard that. that, that title? I, I feel I, I. You guys kind of get underneath there and start sharing some text messages. You're the leader of the group. So I, I someone said that you know people have said that to me, and I got to be candid. Like I feel. I once heard I'm I'm I follow politics and, and philosophy reasonably closely and I once heard someone say that the mark of a good leader in politics is, is that it's someone who never wanted to run for anything and got dragged into it because of a genuine care and they just were you know, they didn't want to do it but they felt and so I feel like if I'm the leader I feel very uncomfortable with the role of of leader because it's like, first of all, this is a sports fandom. It's let's not let's not kid ourselves. But I will say, if my passion for this has inspired even one person's, you know, uh, involvement and engagement, then it's a victory for me. And if that if that makes me a leader, then I'll take it. But it's the right kind of leadership because I never ever want it. And, and by the way, I can be very narcissistic in other parts of my life. But with this, it's like pure selflessness because I love it. It's like, and, and it's niche. Like, there's nowhere else. I didn't even go to UMass. It's like, I just, this is a thing that was in my bones at such a young age that I could never shake. There'd be plenty of times, man, I would I would have, well, listen, in 18, 19, I would have loved to have shaken it. I'm not going to lie. There were, some, there were some nights there after that Howard loss. I was, you know, but I can't, and I just can't. And so it's like Buddy Garrity said in the, uh, in, in, uh, in Friday Night Lights, you can't fake boosterism, and if that makes me a leader, I'm I'm fine with it. There is, and I'm I'm gonna some I'm gonna get some people maybe a little upset. There is a pro, I don't even think Bennett's on it. There is a a separate like text thread that I didn't start uh, with like 30 people. That's really like you know we we dish on there maybe a little more than we would on Twitter. <laughs> But uh, I'm giving I'm giving away. They're gonna get mad. They might get mad that I I blew up their spot on this. But um, no, I mean yeah. If, if I'm a leader, or whatever, I'll 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 accept that. Uh, but in all seriousness, like when you see all this, is it is it just like because you came from Florida? That's super common. Yeah, I, I take it. But even you know you gotta remember, you know, Florida was was five years ago, right? And social media has grown even so much more since then. Um, Twitter really started to take off, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I got a Twitter account back in, I want to say, 2009, 2010. Same. But it's just, you know, it's, it's even from when I was an assistant at Florida, it's, it's grown since then, right? And there's, you know, some Florida things that I follow now and, you know, um, when you see it, it's just, I think it's, it's evolved even more now at a place like Florida or Kentucky, I'm sure, or different things than, than maybe when I was an assistant five years ago. So I just think we have a, a, a passionate fan base, um, that loves their team. They saw what it was in the nineties. They saw what Cal was able to do here how exciting it was and it's just starving to have that level of program really since you know um, 
to go to one tournament in 21, 22 years, um, it doesn't sit well, you know, with fans that were able to see what went on in the 90s. And I, and I get that. I, I totally get that. I understand that. You know, um, does that mean that I need to look at it all the time and see all the negative things that maybe people have said about me or that? No. I, I, the one thing I'll say is when it comes to our players and our guys, I think, you know, again, individualizing and saying the only negative things about 18, 19-year-olds that are out there trying to do it the best they can and trying to be coached, different things like that. Do I agree with that? No. But I do understand how passionate our fan base is. I feel it. They saw how good it was, and that's what they want. And I get it, you know. Um, but we just got to continue to work. It sounds cliche. We got to get better, but... I just think it's evolved, social media has evolved so much, even in just the last five years since I was an assistant coach, that, you know, passionate fan base is a passionate fan base. They're going to get on Twitter and tweet and do those types of things uh, at, at all these places. And I always make a point, if I, if for whatever leader skills I have, I always, I will go relent. There's always one or two people a year who just go way overboard and just lack any emotional capacity to understand even what they're doing and I will always go out of my way to just crush those people if they go overboard on a kid you know I mean they've, 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 there's been things over the years that but I, I also always note in doing that that you know listen guys if you're if you search a kid's name at Kentucky who missed the last shot <laughs> whatever that one or two or three people at UMass are saying there's one or two or 300 people and they're saying even worse things. So unfortunately that's kind of, that kind of comes with the territory and it's just something I think that, you know, kids, I, I, if any kids are listening to this, uh, you know, I think it, there's a perspective that you can keep and, you know, we don't know what's going on off the court and all those things. What do you wish fans, what, what don't fans see that you know that you that you sometimes think like man I wish they had the context because that kid you know I mean I, I think about like Samba Diallo's mother dying in the middle of the season you know I mean that's a deeply human personal tragedy that I, I I don't know if I could play the rest of the season you know and so there's there's things people don't see like what what is it that you'd like people to know uh, about just what fans miss I just think a daily the daily grind for these guys, right? And even now, just with COVID and everything that they're having to deal with, yes, you know, they get their school paid for, they get a free education, they're going to get a degree from UMass. Yeah, that, those are all positives, right? But, you know, the daily grind of being a student athlete, of getting up, of having weights at 7 a.m. You know, our guys get up at 6.15, three days a week right now, right? Um, lifting in the morning to then mandatory meals, you know, on campus to coming back and doing your schoolwork to being in class virtually right now, looking at a computer screen, then having your tutor sessions virtually, then having your, your weekly meetings with the academic advisor virtually, then, you know, going to get treatment, then practice, then after practice, then treatment again after practice, then going to dinner and doing those things and doing the thing every single day. Um, not to mention, you know, maybe someone's dealing with something, you know, back home. Um, I, I just think that it's, there's a lot, there's a lot that you guys are dealing with on a, on a daily basis. And then 
you know, there's an expectation to go out and perform and perform at a high level. And um, it's just, it's just not, you know, we practice and we, we go out there and play. There's just so much more that goes into it. One of the best things I think your predecessor did actually was he brought in this guy, Dr. Joe Carr. I think he was like a sports psychologist. And the, the stories that came out of that, you can, you know, you can kind of read between the lines. I've been following this for a while and you can tell when something actually works and when it's just, you know, blowing smoke. And they, they would always rave about the experiences as, as team building. Have you looked at any sort of, uh, you know, with court club dollars probably tighter now, but at any kind of, not even not necessarily psychological supports, but just you know uh, leaders sort of team development culture pieces from a uh, from the outside as as an extra set of eyes to help with with those things because it, it is you know somebody uh, I think it was actually John Shire who we he, he, a good buddy of his is a good buddy of mine and years back he told me that what he was so impressed about with Coach K was that he would. If they lost by ten and on and they had a practice the next morning on January twenty sixth, he had the exact same level of emotional constancy and intensity that he did on the first day of practice, and that's a hard thing to keep, you know, for a whole season. Have you ever conferred with experts who are not, you know, around oh, your absolutely. team? Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. I think you know. Uh, I'm the guy that's always trying to push the needle in terms of how can we grow, how can we get better. Uh, and talking to, um, you know, quote unquote leadership coaches, uh, you know, leadership experts, there, there's no question. You know, bringing guys in, uh, to motivate, talk to our team, culture guys, we, we, we've done that, no question about it. Got it. Uh, I've, you've, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I don't want to take any more of it. Is there anything, we, I mean, we didn't touch on every player. I think Carl, we kind of know about. You know, there's there's that stuff. Is there anything else you want to just hit on before? Oh, before I get there, how can I sneak into a game this year? Bamford said he. Bamford. Bamford said he thinks I could get a press yeah. pass. Is, are there going to be press passes? That, are are people media going to cover the team? We need we need the Patriots to have some level of fans before we can have fans. Yeah, that's that's, that's real. If the Patriot games continue, Gillette continues to be empty. Uh, Mullins the center will continue will, will be empty as well. So if we get the pass. Governor Baker allow the pass to have some fans. Maybe we can have some fans. But regardless of fans, can you can you, are your press going to be allowed at games? I I don't need to to be honest. I mean, our first home game as of right now is not till December fifth. Yeah. Uh, so there's still a few more weeks before. Wait, has that been uh, announced? The opponent? Decisions have been made, but we'll, we'll we'll see. Has that been announced? The December fifth game? Who you're playing? Again, like I told you <laughs> earlier on this, it changes everything. Yeah. Week. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So we're supposed to go to the to the bubble next week, and uh, you know we lost two opponents there. Um, you know, South Florida is is still on the schedule right now for December 1st. I do believe that's an ESPNU game at 7.30 p.m. Um, the time has changed a couple times. Yeah, I saw times. it at 9.30, um, which is a concern because I work late. But we, we've, we've seen, we've heard a couple different times on that one, so we're still trying to iron all that out. It's just such a crazy, crazy time, and scheduling, you know, uh, is, is nuts. It's nuts. 
Um, we've got a bunch of regional opponents, uh, post-bubble, um, you know, which, which would be good. Uh, you know, the Rolls, Bryant, um, Northeastern teams like that. Uh, but again, it's just, you know, does anybody get COVID or they shut down for two weeks? How's that going to work? I mean, it, we may get to a point here where it's a Tuesday afternoon that you call someone locally on, you know, Thursday or Friday and say, hey, what are you doing, this, you know, Friday afternoon? Do you want to come play? I mean, as crazy as that sounds. I would love it. I mean, I know it's weird, but as that is, that is somewhat of a reality. You know, I think the league games are, are vital. You know, we've got one December 9th. Uh, and then our next one's December 30th. So, you know, the conference conference games are, are, are vital. I think that, you know, they're going to find a way to get those played. They've built in two off weeks or three off, off weeks, actually. Uh, so if games get canceled, they'll make them up. But I, I think if non-league games get canceled, I, I just don't see, see those games. I don't think there's enough time to be able to make those games up. Is there any chance you guys play an extra, like, in, in the bubble, is there any chance you play some of the teams that, because there's other teams that have lost games too, is there any chance you can add a game while you're down there or even play two against one of the sp- opponents who's still on the schedule? We're still working on it, man. Yeah. Again, uh, it's just, it changes every day. It, it changes every day. You know, I think Vermont was in the bubble yesterday and now they're not anymore, right? Um, we lost two opponents last week, so, you know, that would be my thing. I know UMass, they lost the non-league schedule. I don't know that we're going to ever have one online that we can, because I just don't know that we're going to be able to stick to it with, with the way that, that, you know, the, the world is right now. And, uh, you know, non-conference schedule has been crazy. Is that a lot of your day these days? Are you just like every morning? Is it just bad, or do you have you deputized a particular staffer to be the liaison with the scheduling world? I mean, it's it's to the point now where if we get caught up and we just you know allow it to affect our day and, and be worried about it, it's distracting us from what we have to do in practice that day to get our team better. You know, we're gonna spend a little time in the morning talking about it, any updates, anything we need to be ready for, maybe put a call in to, to Greg Crescino from the Hall of Fame, does he have any updates, and then it's on to what do we got to go practice to get better. All right, so before you go, is there anything you want to promote, anything you want to uh, tell the fans, any, anything you want to get off your chest? That's what we typically end the program with. <laughs> anything you want to get off our chest? Listen, the only thing is, is this summer, boy, did you, you created a little bit of a headache for me based on a comment that I made completely out of context, okay? You know I love Amherst, but man, you, you took that and ran with that. And I was having a few phone calls from a bunch of people, so... Wow, you know, did I really cause that much of... To say, oh, caused a little bit of a headache there, but that's okay. We handled it just fine. I still came on your podcast, all right? But, you know, you know I love this place. You know I love Amherst. We've got the team now in terms of 11 out of you know, our 12 guys on scholarship from New England or went to prep school in New England, so I think you took that a little bit out of so context. I, but, I, you know. I probably did, and I, and I, I was going to copy that because I noticed that, you know, I don't, for, for our listeners, I don't text Matt, I don't think, terribly often. I kind of let him do his job, but I, I weigh in with an unsolicited, like, you should run this action once in a while. Usually, you know, I'll get a courtesy, like, okay, yeah, thanks, kind of thing. But after that, I didn't hear. I sent you a couple of texts, 
and I didn't hear from you. And I was like, you know what? Like, if that was the, if that was it, like, I can't really blame him. It, it, because, and I got a text from. I, I would not, I would not not text you back over something like that. All right. That, that, that's not how I operate at all. Well, because BG... They texted me at a point in time where I was doing something. That's true. sent me something. I was... I was... I was... I was... I was well, I also want to say, I, I dinged you for the comment, which was obviously taken out of context. I know... I kind of now know what you meant after I, you know, realized I ruffled some feathers. But also, for whatever reason, and, and I never quite know what's going to blow up, <laughs> that one, like, people just that went... That one took off a little bit. Because the thing is, like, you know, you know, text can be tone deaf, right? And, like, in writing, it, it could be construed, especially the first time you see it. And who knows what was going on that day. I could have been annoyed about something, and I just sort of fired it off. And then you put it in the ether, and usually you don't really think any of it. I think and there were people who responded to it who were some people were like you're overreacting it's clear that the context was not like so bad but then other people were like they thought it was World War 3 you know so then and I probably if you look in the responses I kind of was like alright maybe I took it a little much but by that point the damage is done and uh, you know it's the leader of UMass Twitter there you go right there that's the title that we give you it's funny though, you know. It's like you don't realize you have any, you know. You don't realize you don't. It's just you start shit posting, and then five years later, like I literally started that account because my friends on my real account were saying, "Hey man, uh, I love you, but you know, sixteen updates about the Duquesne UMass game is not why I follow you. You know, like they're not UMass fans. They didn't go to UMass, and so I just started that account with you know as a way of venting during games, and then it became this whatever it is, a mini thing. So uh, I should probably be more mindful now that I'm, uh, I guess people, some people take me seriously, which they, which you, you never really should. But um, thanks again for coming on. Apologies. We'll, we'll water under the bridge there. And uh, did, now did the guy misquote, like did the guy just misquote you? Cause like, I know, I kind of know what you mean and what you meant was like, it's not Miami, right? Like I get it, but Freddie was on our episode and he got upset about it because he was like, he's like, there's two girls colleges. There's like all these like, you know, <laughs> he was pushing that. And was it, was it, did you just mean like, it's not, you know, New York City pretty much. And it just, the way it, it was written, it, it seemed like it was a knock. Yeah. I mean, look at, man, when I got here, look, look, look at the roster, right? We had someone from Chicago. We had someone from Memphis. We had someone from Mississippi, we had, you know, um, we had them from all over, there's two guys from Louisiana, you know, like, I mean, guys were from all over the country, and my whole point and the whole thing was, is, there was no, there was like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, right, and that's why we changed our philosophy in recruiting, you know, you've got to you've got to recruit the prep schools up in this area. You have to, right? You've got to recruit in New England. You've got to get guys that, that are familiar with the area, more or less, in terms of us turning this program around and getting it to go in the direction that everybody wants it to, right? Um, so that's really what I was alluding to in terms of, of the comment. So 
Um, and it had nothing to do with how I feel about Amherst. But when I walked through the door, my first day of the job, our roster was really, I mean, they, they had recruited nationally um, when, you know, the best teams that have been here have been made up of guys that are from this area. I mean, you look at that team in the 90s. Those guys sure. were from the Northeast, you know, so... Camby was, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, you had Philly kids for sure on those teams. Always, always Philly. But that was also because we had a pipeline. Do you, I mean, I don't even know if pipelines matter to places anymore. Like, do you think because you've got this Brian Matthews kid from Chicago, because he's a Chicago kid, do you think that that that, that will open up, uh, you know, a, a gateway to uh, to Chicago again? And or, or or do you do you even think that matters, or is it just like get guys who you know are comfortable here like when you talk recruiting a Brian Matthews he's a Chicago kid Do you say look you're not in Chicago you're coming to Amherst it's a different vibe I want you know you know what you're getting into yeah no no, no question no question about it um you know I think that that's an area coach Bergeron had spent a lot of time in at one point in his career um he knew everyone around Brian's situation uh he knew his character uh, he knew those types of things. He also, you know, we need to we need to add depth in our front court. You know? I'm very excited about him, by the way. I think he has a huge upside. Yeah, I think Mark Gasparini is is terrific. He's been a great addition for us. Um, we don't have to change the way we play when he's in the game, but we've got to, you know, with him and you know, you saw last year, you know, the jury missed whatever it was the last two to three games of the season. Um, you know, that becomes hard to practice when, when Jeff Trey is your truly only five out there on the floor. So, uh, yeah, it's depth. He brings character. Um, he's good. Gasparini's good, by the way. He's been trying to get back to Chicago. He always talks about that. Gasparini's pretty good. Very good. Very, very good. He'd really start good at some places in this league. I don't think people realize that. Can really, really pass. Can really pass, which I love about him and his game. So. But no, we've got to continue to, to recruit the prep schools here. Um, I think Brian's a guy that, that'll come in and again, he'll help us. But we've got to continue to, to make sure the majority of our roster is, is really made up of, of guys that have, that have been in this area that um, are from New England or, or, or going to prep school up in this area or from the Northeast. All right, Coach, go do whatever you got to do. It's been, it's been a long one, and we can't thank you enough. So, uh Keep in touch over the course of the year. I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'll try to, I'll try to leave you alone. But uh, I'm definitely going to find a way to get in somehow. That's a, that's a, I will, I will find a way to be in the building at least one time this year. Whether it's as a, you know, I'll play serious reporter and put that hat on, or I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way. And if I have to be, you know, a janitor who's cleaning up behind the bench, like I'll, I'll maybe I play the, maybe I play clergy, religious clergy. You've had that on the bench historically. We'll see. We'll see. I'll be in there. Whatever whatever you do, just don't get yourself in any trouble, okay? The UMass Twitter Nation needs you out there. tweeting, okay? Got to post. We need your posting, man. Where, 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 where you're unable to post anything, all right? But uh, appreciate your support, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right, buddy. See ya.